0: weeks, I missed you, and I understand that you haven't missed me as much because you met a wonderful lady named Esther for the last three weeks, and she is absolutely amazing lady. Um, She certainly is the one who went to the ends of the earth, ends of the earth being a place where it's uncomfortable, but yet she had so much conviction in that she had to do what she had to do, even if it meant losing her life. In doing so, she accomplished two things even before Christ came to us. When Christ came to us, he gave us two major uh, order. One is called great command, and that is to love your God with all your soul and all your mind and all your heart. And second is to love your neighbors as yourself. Then our Lord also gave us a great commission, that is to go to the ends of the earth, these two things are what we must do. These two things, it's not for us to keep it in our head, and it's not just a knowledge. We must keep not only in our heads, but we must also do. Esther is the one who actually carried it out. You may say, well, how could she have done all that when she was born way before Christ? Well, you know one thing for sure. Everything about Old Testament points towards the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, any descriptions, any stories that talks about whether it's a David, whether it's a Joshua, whether it's Moses, it's all about pointing to the Christ. Even P31, Proverbs 31, the woman of a noble character, the wife of a noble character points towards New Testament our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question today really is, where is the ends of the earth? Hundreds of years ago, we knew what that meant. Today, is it the same? But before we do that, I had, personally, two critical moments in my life that really convicted me and, and transformed me and changed me. And that was this question called, Where is the ends of the earth? Prior to uh, my new awakening of this question, I used to think that ends of the earth is just simply away from home. Like in Latin America, Southeast Asia, with Africa, maybe it's a quarter region, North or South Pole, whatever. It's away from home is what the ends of the earth were. And when I realized for the last 20-some years, the ends of the earth is not just away from home. It could also be where we are standing. And I'm going to get to that later. But when I had a real conviction uh, about the existence of, Christ, of God was back when I was in first year in high school. The question one day was summertime. It was a, it was a little warm, and, and, and I was just laying down and just relaxing. Maybe I was in half sleep or something like that. I got into this, like, just the mode where I'm thinking about the universe. And I have said this before in the past, but. Just thinking about the universe, when you're in high school, even though you act emotionally, that's what the parents would say, and there's no logic to our emotions, but we think that we are very logical, these young teenager kids. Like parents don't know anything, but I know everything. But our world is all about physical some things that we can touch. Now we're beginning to experience for the first time the teaching and the insight the parents are giving us is like, well, I'm not so sure about that. That's no logic in that but we begin to see the real world and begin to have uh, experience with the real physical things and and you think we know everything. So in that mode, I was asking myself, where is the end of the universe? And I was blown away. So I was imagining in my mind, okay, the universe is huge. It's big. It contains the galaxy. It contains millions of different types of galaxies. But just like air and the gas in a bottle, it must have something that contains that. Okay, so let's go millions and millions light years away. There's got to be some container. Is it made out of brick? Is it made out of stone? Is it made out of glass? What contains this amazing the vacuum, the space, and universe that everything contains in it? So, if there is an, what is it made of? It's a brick. It's a glass. And I said, I didn't. I don't know. But that was okay. You could leave it up to imagination. Then the question was, if there is the end, whatever it is made of, what's on the other side? That's when I dropped the ball. Whatever it is, I, I give out. God, you exist. Everything in my little mind in high school days, not fully understanding the physics, but physics is about all material. It's something that you can actually touch. But that part, it's inexplicable. And that's when I realized in high school, I give up, God, you do exist. And that's when I really committed. Uh, I didn't have any awakening, like some preacher uh, telling me, like, you know, the Holy Spirit really coming down. Like, no, I didn't have one of those moments because I grew up in the church. I knew about God. But that simply was amazing to me, to be able to receive God and just, you know, that I could be before Him on my knees. Today, the question really is, what is the ends of the earth? of the earth. The Bible says in order for us to understand this, first we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I see the next slide? The one uh, before that. Now before that. Before that. Yes. To receive the power of When the Holy Spirit comes, then we become witness. That's what the Bible talks about, the going to the ends of the earth. So the question now is, okay, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Then you become his witness to the ends of the earth. So what is that? What is this earth? So the Bible that we read today says, but you will receive the power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can I get a slide? Yes, that's good. So the question really is, where is that? Now, I know I've said this before in the past, so let's look at this map. If you look at upper left, Look at the world map. So in the past, we've been sending people away from home, mostly from Europe, say hundreds of years ago, then from United States, beginning like heavily beginning of 50, 60 years ago, and Korea, about 10, 20 some years ago. And really there isn't on any other nations in the world that sending out so many missionaries, a little bit from Australia, a little bit from Canada, But the sheer mass from, in the past, Europe, and then it was United States and in Korea. But something else is happening 100 years later in Europe became, the Europe became a dry land. They don't even speak, can't even hear the word God, let alone Jesus, in that entire continent of Europe. Today, most of churches are converted into something else. Some of them just became historic places. They do something else in their places. Our country, United States, in the it's in the in the middle of that image, we are forbidden to pray in society in the public places. We can't really talk about God in Jesus. Even still, we have not fallen yet. We're still there. We're still trying to sustain and maintain. But we're struggling. As you know, It's just struggling. And Korea is still able to talk about God, even talk about Jesus in public places. But it may not be too long. And when Korea goes down, when U.S. goes down, what is left Before we thought about the ends of the earth being away from home, but now the ends of the earth is where we are sitting and where we are standing. There's probably less talk about God and Jesus in Europe than there's probably in Africa. In fact, in Africa, it's reviving right now. They're strong. Southeast Asia, it's the same thing, it's happening, but our own homeland, Europe, America, and soon to be Korea, where we send hundreds of thousands of missionaries are being persecuted in those countries. They're being pushed out in this of the continents, countries where missionaries are needed the most today. So when you walk from here and go that way, and you walk, I don't know how long it's going to take. It's going to take a long time from several years. When you, The earth is around. By the time you come back, you're going to come this way, and you'll be coming to the same place. The ends of the earth is where you're standing and where you're sitting right now. We can no longer be sitting here and thinking that our job is to send people away from home to other remote countries. So now, as you may know, we've been sending out at the bottom right image to the ends of the earth as we have known today. The one in the second in middle image, is you go around, it's where you're standing. Here, this church This society, our workplace is where missionaries are needed the most. And you go into our society. You go into public places. You go into entertainment, government, education to be able to go to the ends of the earth. And how do you go there? How do you go there? And as you have been, I've been telling to you in the in the past for some times, and um, with the Biblical Theological Seminary and um, with the uh, one church in Korea hosting all this, we're being able to launch the first the pilot program called Marketplace Missionary. Next slide. And if you look at this slide, and that's what what I was, and that is the inaugural service, the very first pilot program, where 1,010 students registered, and uh, about additional 100 people came to see what is going on. And um, on that first Saturday of June, there were about 8,000 people in that auditorium watching and observing, being part of this inaugural pilot program. And uh, it was absolutely God moment. It was a moment where you can feel the Holy Spirit coming on you, and people are receiving the power in order for them to be able to be the witness into the ends of the earth. And next slide will show you the second Saturday, which was the first class where 1,010 students came committed for one-year-long seminary training for five courses. Instead of a 30 course you need for Master of Divinity, five courses to have to get Marketplace Missionary Certificate so that at the end of next uh, one year from now, they will be commissioned and ordained to be able to go out to the workplace as Marketplace Missionary. And the bottom picture, that's a, what 1,010 students looks like. I personally took that picture because the first moment I got up there, and I said hi in Korean, and then I just pulled out my uh, iPhone, and I just took it in front of them, and they would start laughing. Like, <laughs> I told them, this is, a, this is a, a moment, this is a moment, this picture, this moment will remain in history forever, as being the first official seminary endorsed, trained, in terms of making that true disciple, and going to the ends of the earth, which is where you're standing, where, there is, where the gospel is needed the most, where the gospel is most dry right now, as compared to other remote countries that we know today. The question in the next slide is that we've seen this picture before image. There are six, so you challenge them. There are 60,000 churches in Korea. And I said maybe about half of them are good ones, evangelicals, and maybe perhaps some are conservative. At least let's begin to target them, say 30,000. Can you have 10 people who are willing and ready like Esther to be bold out there? They all said, 10, that's easy. Most of our churches are so big and huge. We can do that, 10. That's easy. You don't even need to train anybody. They're already committed. They're ready to do so. Okay, 60 times 10 is 600,000 people. Can we do that 10 for 10 years? I think that's pretty easy to do, times 10. That's a 6, three hundred, three million 3 million people in a marketplace. Now we can change. We can do something with that. We can make it disciples of the 3 million people in Korea. We can change this. The biblical theological seminary is preparing and ready. They are going to be writing articles. They are going to be praying, putting on a Christian today. You are going to see a wave of things going to happen in this country as well. They're going to say, we did it this in Korea. We can bring it back to seminaries. We can keep the seminaries in the United States to alive again. And then we can go out to local churches. There's where it's kind of dry. Where the Holy Presence, the Holy Spirit is sort of like minimized. They're less inclined to receive the power. And, and, and we can re-energize our local churches in America. And then we can go beyond to the world, back to Europe. And so that is the, God is kind of leading us in that direction. So where when do we go to the ends of the earth? Acts eight. Let me read this again. It says, But you will receive power. Christina, next slide, please. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You don't just go. It's not your decision. You don't just go, I'm going, to, I'm going to go. You have to ask God that I want to receive the power. As the Holy Spirit comes, so send me God. Then you can be his witness and be effective witness in making the effort in going to that ends of the earth. So we need to be equipped Esther did not just did it on her own. She didn't just say, "I'm going to do this. If I perish, I perish." It's not her thing. When she said, "I, if I perish, I perish," Holy Spirit was with her. She had the power because Holy Spirit was with her. That's how we become. The witness out there. We need help. If you don't have that help, it's easy to plunder, easy to give up, easy to doubt. How do you receive that Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is within us, it's here, it's even now, today. But you must ask, you must have a conviction that God. Will be with you always. That's the part that we tend to forget. We are ready because God is pushing you and hugging, tugging you to go in that direction. We're running, and we're sweaty, and then you've faced some obstacles, and you forget the fact that God says that I will be with you always, regardless of the situation. And to know that when you face these obstacles, usually it means you have to do something. And that something is usually about sacrificing oneself for others. That's really simple. The the greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself is to sacrifice. That's when we get friction in our lives. And that knowing that true sacrifice, when you sacrifice without any desire to ha- have something in return, is the pathway to the victory. And that was our Lord's formula. He sacrificed without intention of receiving anything from us, and that was the pathway to his victory, which was resurrection. To know that. In Bible, in a Psalm, in Proverbs, in Isaiah, it's all about sacrifice. When you sacrifice, God will always remember and give you the victory. I don't want to use the word success because success, people have different definition of success. People think that success is about money. Who says it was money? But, so I'm not going to use it. I'm going to use biblical terms. God talks about victory in Christ, victory in your life through Christ. It may be wealth, it may be whatever, it may be just the fulfillment, maybe the happiness. It's all victory in life. And if you look at this one Bible verse in Psalm 21 through 1 5 says, May the Lord, this is when you're in distress, when you're like, Look, God, I did everything I can, I lived for you. I try to die for you. I kind of try to live like Esther. If I perish, I perish. And I gave up and I came here. What are you doing to me? And God says, in that case, read this. Let me read it to you. It says this, Psalm 21 five. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. I read this 100 times when I was in the hospital waiting for heart transplant. Yes, I was in distress. Very much in distress. I hit that war. Unclimbable wall. It was a wall that was so high that is, there was no. I couldn't come up with any any creative way to climb over that obstacle. I was certainly in distress. Let me continue reading in Psalm twenty. May He remember all your sacrifice and accept your burnt offerings. Oh, that's nice. I sacrificed. Relatively speaking, uh, depend, compared to some of those guys, I sacrifice. Yeah, number one, God, I haven't really missed Sunday. Maybe because my father was a pastor, I was like forced to do it, but I haven't really missed Sunday. Every time I go somewhere, Sunday, I did not skip. Even if I'm on vacation, I actually go to church with my family. I said to God, you have to remember that sacrifice. Then I tell them, what well, there's other sacrifice. You know, somebody... You know, me. I was mad at one time, but the other time, I actually was generous to that person. You better remember that, God. That's what He says. Remember all your sacrifices, accept your burnt offerings. And the verse 4 of chapter 20 of Psalm, may He give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious. You see the word victorious? And we'll lift up our banners in the name of our God. When God gives us victory, 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 he wants us to have what? The banner today is testimony. It's something that you can just talk to people. Oh, man, this is what God did for me to encourage others. The story of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the prophet of the future. That's in Revelation. Feel a little skeptical about a prophecy and things like that. and It's in the Bible. You tell a story, you testimony, and you're hurting, let's say, in your heart, whether it's health, whether you're struggling with something, and somebody comes along and gives you the testimony. You know, when I was in that situation, I was in the distress. You explain, and God just gave me that victory. You know what that is? That person is, by saying the testimony, is waving the banner, which gives us a healing power. And it's through uh, the name of Jesus. That's exactly what this Bible says. So next one in our uh, today's scripture says, what do we do once we receive the power through the Holy Spirit? It says, to be his witness. Now what does witness mean? Witness is like showing off. Look what I did. Uh, it's not, you know, as you think about witness in the local court, uh, you, he's the witness. Hey, did you see what happened? Yeah, I saw that that car, the white car, actually crashed into that, the green car. That's a Witness. But that's what we think, but that's not what actually all that means in the Bible. It's far more than that, which I'll get into. Being my witness, and I don't want to go into all this, you know, different languages, the interpretation, because we don't have time for all that. That's for lectures, okay? But it really means to make disciples. To train and to teach and make sure that when you are witnessing, that this person they are witnessing to is obeying all that God has commanded. That they do what you do. That's what it means to be His witness. That we are not to contend just with, the, with having received salvation. Salvation is the greatest thing. It's probably the only thing. It's the only thing in the sense it gives us the right to go to heaven. So when you receive the salvation, you're just basically, God says, okay, here is, oh, this is a good one, here is your ticket to heaven. Whether you're 10 years old, when you're 20 years old, when you said, Jesus, you're my savior, I accept you as my personal savior, God says, here is a ticket. And you just have to put it in your pocket. That's it. When you get the baptism, this is what you get. You got the ticket. And most of us stop there. I got my salvation. I'm going to heaven. I don't care how I'm going to live for the rest of my life here. That's something else. I already got my ticket. That's not what God, how God wants us to live. Because if you do, we're going to face struggle, hardships, obstacles, again and again in our lives. What does God want us to do? He wants us to exercise what we are charged to do. We are charged to make disciples. We are charged to be witness in the marketplace, at work, at our business, that business includes, Its business isn't just about you know, like store owners or somebody running a, a, a shop or things like that. Business is inclusive of work, school, government, church, nonprofit organization, any place where you go to do something for livelihood, volunteer, whatever. That's a business. It's inclusive. Yeah, and a different part of business means running a store or running a, architectural engineering companies, but the business means all that's inclusive, what we are at. And when we go to that places, which now is the ends of the earth, because that's where God is needed the most. That's where in, in Europe, in America, workplace is where gospel is most unspoken and dry, dried up. So when you are to marketplace, a workplace, we have to do the right things. When you do the right things, that God says that he will not withhold good things from those who do the right things. And before that, define Matthew 28, verse 1620, about this great commission that God charged us. Now, when we think about great commission, it's like, It's like noun, right? Oh, Great Commission. That's why we shouldn't really talk about everything in in noun, but in a verb form. Great commission simply means God charged us. We are being charged. You see the difference? It means exactly the same thing. Commission means you're charged. I charge you, when you get all day, I charge you to be the pastor of this congregation. You have to take care of all the duty that comes with it. Great commission is simply we are all charged to do what is right in our daily lives. So you go to Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they... Saw him. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Now I love this because, as a leader, and as most of us are leaders too, when you're trying to do something, there's always naysayers just really giving you a hard time. And don't be discouraged. Even Jesus had doubters. You think that there was only one? No, no, no. It says eleven. That guy that you're thinking about is already gone. Otherwise, it would be twelve. Eleven. He's gone. Even those 11 who said, I am charged. I will do whatever you told me to do. But it says some, that means more than one of that 11 are doubting. But still, Jesus was charged with his mission. And realizing that, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Basically what he's saying is, I am that I am. You heard that before somewhere? Like month before? I am who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. And I love verse 19. And it says the word therefore. Therefore what? What was before? Because I am what I am, therefore I am commissioning you, I am charging you once again to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what it means to be witness, to be his witness. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey. Obey is simply to do. You got to push people for his glory. Glory. You don't kindly ask. you gotta ask, push. Obey is sort of like doing something that you do not want to do. Did we talk about that before? Of course. If you do something in the church, in your workplace, if you do something or you do something that you like to do, that's not obedience. That's just doing what you want to do. Obedience is doing something that you don't really want to do. That's where obedience comes. I obey my mom and dad. I don't like what they're telling me to do, but I'll do it anyway because my dad and my mom, they have all the authority in this household. Therefore, I will obey. Everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, Jesus speaking. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Always means what? The Holy Spirit will be with you. And you are charged with the Holy Spirit. You have received the power to be able to do do that. Let's just understand this a little bit more. Make disciples. It says to make disciples, right? Making disciples... It's not just uh, simply going somewhere because you want to go. Oh, uh, this year I just want to go to uh, Thailand for missionary. I want to go someplace in uh, Latin America for missionary. You don't go simply because you want to go. It's just to go and make, go and make. So you see there's two verbs, right? So I can just simply go. I don't have to do anything. If you ever think that you're going to somewhere for kids' name, I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna. You got this totally wrong. It says go and and make disciples. okay, I'll just go. I'll let them, I'll let other pastors make disciples. I'm just gonna follow along. But if you really think about this in the English text and the other the language that was originally written, it really has different intention. You know what that intention is? When we read this in English, there's two verbs. You, gotta go, you have an option. You can either go and then make. I'll pick one of which, whichever is comfortable for me. But that's not what it says here, okay? You know what it's like? It's like... When mom and dad is asking their children to go and buy eggs from a store, what are they really saying? The word go, is not it necessary? It's not necessary. Go is create action. Get the engine running. That's basically what it means. Get your butt off the chair and start moving. That's what go means. What is intention? What is the purpose? Purpose is is simply one verb, and that's to buy eggs from the store. That's the purpose. When God says go and make disciples is get up from the chair, do something, and start making disciples. The intention and the purpose is only one. And we oftentimes forget that. Obeying is also doing. And by going and making disciples with a purpose. So in other words, don't just go to the ends of the earth. Don't just go to workplace. Don't just go to church. Don't just go to your organization that you belong to. Go there to do the right thing. You understand what I'm talking about now? you got to go there to do the right thing. That's why you go to your workplace. That's what God now is saying to the ends of the earth is go to where you are, where you're standing, where your livelihood is. Go there and do the right thing. If you're interested in going to like army, and, oh, I'll just go to army or navy. No, 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 no. They're just getting off your, you know what? You go there with one purpose, and that's to save, to defend the country. That's the purpose. Expression is go and save. The important thing is to save, to defend. Go and defend. That's where the real meat is, not go, I'll just go. Don't just go to family gathering. I know a lot of people don't want to go to family gathering, whether it's holiday gathering. Well, I mean, if I go to gathering, he's going to be in trouble. And I don't like to see that uncle. He always say something to me. I hate when he does that. If you just go, that's what you're thinking about. You're forgetting the very intention and the purpose of family get together. You're our goal, our purpose, our intention of going to this family gathering that takes place it's to go and make peace. Different. Different lifestyle. And when you do that, God will be pleased. Let me finish with a, with a story. Um, you know, um, when I was going to Korea to teach, you know, get all excited about 1,010 people signed up, registered, and doing all their things. And uh, as I was walking out, And I sat down with my uh, manager at my uh, office and saying, uh, so how's it going? I kind of know what's going. So he was like a little concerned because uh, about three of our projects that were supposed to to get going got on hold. We got a lot of people, close to 50 people. How are we going to keep them busy? And um, now I'm leaving, going away for three weeks, a little burden in my shoulder. I wanted to go there with, like, not thinking about the business. At the same time, as I'm traveling to the different places so often, I know I think about you guys as well. It's like, he's leaving, and what about us? Well, like, over there, well, Tim's, uh, you know, going like six, seven times a year to Korea, two weeks at a time, and, and uh, he's not even doing his, keeping 100% of his time to our company, maybe it's time for him to retire. That could happen. It's people. So I'm anticipating that I'm not ready to retire yet. So I was a little cont- thinking, like, like, I need to balance this. Think about it. If I go, keep going there and company's not doing very well, What's the first thing that people's mind is? Get rid of the CEO. He gets big pay, get rid of him. That's what most people think. I've heard that so many times. Even when I was in a previous company, we were doing what do we need all this overhead there for? What do we need the vice president, two vice presidents, this vice president, CEOs? And what do we need all them? Well, we can run this. We know how to run this. I heard that before. So I know what's gonna come coming up. So I said, God, and he said, God. I need your help. And I, And added to that, there was a third prayer. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to give all this testimony, which is very important. And these testimonies are basically what? All the testimony that's already in the book, P31. I want to go there with a new testimony. Something that can really relate. So give me a new testimony. Remember the story about Marlins, story about when our, um, everybody's laying off, uh, 40, 60%, about seven, eight years ago, the prayer that I made, asked my staff to pray, and I told them I'm gonna have a different type of prayer. I said, what kind of prayer are you gonna pray? There's only prayer that we can think of, ask God to give us more projects. No, I'm gonna pray a slightly same thing, but a little different, and that is asking God to give me testimony. That means we got the jobs, projects to work on it. As I said, as I was leaving in the plane, I actually prayed, God, in putting all these three concerns that I had, give me a new testimony that I can share with these thousand people at the uh, class that I'll be teaching. So um, three months prior to that, I went to Korea and uh, I had an opportunity to meet somebody who read the book on Proverbs 31. And uh, it's a, she is a CEO of pretty renowned uh, resort that has huge organization affiliated with. And um, through her uh, right hand person, I was contacted that she wanted to know more about firm. So I went and gave a little, we had a little you know, lunch and talked about it. Came back three months later, which was about three weeks ago, and I got the call saying she wants to meet again and put with a potential projects. She liked what we had to say, so I was excited. And um, prior to the uh, getting together, I met with him. And um, I did not meet with the CEO, but her, subordinates. And when I went there, there was an architecture firm. So we, we're, I thought we were supposed to be an architecture firm. They already had another architectural firm. We, I kind of knew, but it wasn't so sure. And uh, so it was the owner and the architecture firm, and me, three of us standing, uh, having pre-discussion. This representative from the owner wanted to make sure everything is in agreement before, uh, um, the three days later, that that when we are ready to present it to the CEO, everything is already arranged, aligned, and there's no problem. And what I found out is that this architecture firm is also part of this huge uh, group. So they have this huge group. Underneath this group, they have a construction company, they have a resort, they have a condo, they got all this money-making machine, and they have their own architecture firm. So it's like a whole family. It's not some architecture firm I can easily kick out or do anything or try to convince us instead of them. So we decided to do this. In that case, I will do schematic design, which in design, there are three phases. Schematic design, design development, and construction documentation. The workload is about 50-50. This too is about 50% of this. So it's a fairly significant amount of work that we as a designer will have to do. So I, we agreed to that. We compromised, and we had a handshake. So this is what we're going to present Tim. you're going to do the design. You're going to come up with a creative way in which this beautiful uh, plaza and uh, wedding hall and the parking is going to all continue to assimilate. That's good, we agreed. Then it was my class, next day. That was Friday, the next day I, I taught. And uh, Monday come, I went down to meet with this, the CEO for finalize the deal. So I got there. CEO says, okay, tell Tim, we, have, we don't have a contract yet. So I went to the CEO and said, CEO, can't from last. They were like construction firm, represented for five. They were all the same family. And then architecture firm, two, three, four people. And then from my side, I had a couple of people. And then uh, the, resort, the, world, we, the place that they're building, and they had several people. They got at least like 12, 15 people. And the CEO walks in. We, I met her before. She says, the first thing she says, okay, Tim, what's your uh, vision for us? I wasn't going to really, uh, release my idea prior to having a proposal, contract. Because that's everything that we got is our vision. And um, I just felt at that time when like 15 eyes are looking at me, 15 times 2, there are two eyes in each, but 30 eyes are looking at me, just felt in my heart that I need to share my vision. And even though I didn't, it wasn't right at that time for me to say, well, I can't say anything until you give me a contract. So I just, I said what my vision, thinking that we already had an re- arrangement with the other architecture firm and then all that. So I, I don't think it's gonna be any problem, so <clears throat> these are my vision. The vision basically, so that you understand what it is, is basically there are, they, this resort is huge, it's got a condo, it's got a hotel, it's got wedding, it's got a water park. In summertime, because so many people come from Seoul, from Busan to enjoy the place, and they don't have enough parking spaces. so we're, They're looking at 800 parking spaces. And then uh, uh, that's what they want to build. And I said, you want to build parking space structures? Yes. That's risky, I told them. Wow, that's what we need. If you think about five, ten years from now, five, ten years from now, you're going to, another, this is so big, Another guy comes along and builds another water park, you're going to lose your business by 10 to 20%. It could happen. It's a risk you've got to take. But I see you can prevent that. <gasps> How? And um, you have a business. You have a business that's a water park in the wedding. The wedding, you do about 100 weddings a year. That's lots of revenue for you. Why don't you double that? How are you going to double that? Just Put a wedding whole on top of garage, and this is going to be all, you know, has a beautiful view with the golf course. You've got this, you know, the entire view of the complex, and the people from Seoul are going to come from the Busan and can come and enjoy this, this outdoor-looking uh, uh, penthouse wedding place with the, with the nature because it's different than America. You guys are wedding from 12 to 4, 6, 8. Summertime, all always daytime. It's not nighttime. Right now, your wedding hall is like this place. It's all blocked up. And um, young people today like to wedding outdoor. That's the trend. They don't want to be in a, in a kind of dark place. That's, that's true. They're beginning to find that out. Why don't you create one? And so if someday another competitor comes in, builds another water park, your business will go down 10%, 15%, but you can complement that by having additional 100 sp- uh, wedding. You can even charge more. And she was so we're going to do this. And, and she was a young CEO. She need to have something so she can go to the board Said I am a creator. I got the vision too. So she was very excited. She approved right at that moment. And then uh, we had a beautiful lunch and we left. The project was green light go Start design right now. It's great, right? I got a call next day from that subordinate, saying, uh, Tim, uh, can you just do the conceptual design, not the rest? And I was actually a little upset, disappointed. And I said, why? He says, well, the other architecture firm now says that they think they can do all that. Now they they got all my ideas. (laughs) Of course they can do it once you get the ideas. And I said, that's not right. And I didn't say this to him. I just... And then realizing that I can't fight this. This architecture firm is part of the family. I can't fight this. So I um, said to uh, the person two things. Number one, had I known it's gonna go this way, I would not have shared my vision to you. He said, I know, I'm sorry, what can I do? I'm just asking this question because I was told to ask. The second, it was what I said too, and remembering some of the things that we talked about today, and I did not use like uh, the typical words like uh, I will compromise. That's what most people would do. I used biblical term, and I said I will. In that case, I will sacrifice. This person read P thirty one. His boss. The lady CEO also read P31. <clears throat> my part wasn't computing, but that's where Holy Spirit came and I received the power to be able to say, I will sacrifice. Now, if I do conceptual design, it will be like this much amount of my own fee, just a little sketch, a little idea, and then disappeared and they're going to do the rest. Now, I was sacrifice. And he says, Thank you, Tim. It's, uh, I'll just carry this uh, news to my CEO. The next day, I got a call. You know know what I got? The call that I got? He calls me back and says, well, when I presented uh, what you had to say, that you were willing to sacrifice, my CEO at that moment, also, he didn't say this, received, felt something, which I know is the Holy Spirit.